Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. President Biden ended his Middle East visit over a week ago, leaving the field open for other major players with stakes in the region. Biden had barely settled in back at the White House when Putin arrived in Tehran together with the Erdogan to meet their host, Raisi. While Israel panned what it called the Evil Summit, it gave Erdogan a free pass, mindful of the flourishing love affair with the Turkish leader. Another troubling regional actor, Hezbollah, continues to provoke Israel, launching drones at an Israeli gas uh, drilling platform in the Mediterranean, and leaving Israel to scratch its head in an effort to understand what game Nasrallah is playing. Israel is also wondering what, if anything, was achieved during Biden's touchy-feely visit, uh, even as it tries to formulate a coherent Iran policy for every conceivable scenario, and also to conclude indirect negotiations with uh, Lebanon on mapping the two countries' economic waters, which could have a decisive impact on gas exploration in the region. To top it all off, a drizzle of rockets from Gaza in recent days serves as a reminder that the Gaza problem hasn't gone away. Today's On Israel guest is probably one of the Israelis best equipped uh, to address these issues. Major General Tamir Hayman is the new head of the Institute for National Security Studies, the INSS, before which he served as Chief of Military Intelligence a post in which he oversaw the Western world's second most important uh, repository of intelligence information after the U.S. If he shares with us even an iota of what he knows, we're uh, in uh, for a fascinating ride. Major General Taimir Ayman joins us right after this short break. I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at Al Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm Al Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Now happy uh, to say shalom and welcome General uh, Tamir Ayman uh, to our Al Monitors podcast. Thank you for being with us, uh, General Ayman. How are you doing? And uh, thank you. Shalom. Good evening, Ben. Thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, let's start with a general question. How do you evaluate Biden's recent visit to the region from Israel's uh, perspective? 
Well, I think from the Israeli perspective, the general impression is positive, especially everything related to American commitment on backing Israel and maintaining and even strengthening the special relationship with Israel. The president's main goal, I think, was to demonstrate his warm feeling and the deep commitment based on common values. And in that aspect, he achieved it big time. And in our neighborhood, in the Middle East, it is very important to have a powerful friends that are emotionally connected to you. In other words, the president feels that Yad Vashem is a form of a power projection. But with your permission, I think there was two practical important achievement that wasn't really, uh, doesn't, didn't really get the necessary attention. The first one is I think the major achievement in, is the technical and scientific dialogue agreement. That is Israel and U United States will cooperate in key areas that will shape the future technology. It is very important to Israel technology and science community and very important to deal with the Chinese challenge of cooperating and trying to, in, to uh, get into uh, that uh, role. And the second achievement is the Jerusalem declaration. But I want to emphasize one key aspect that is very important. When the president gave public declaration that Iran will never, never, ever gain uh, atomic uh, or uh, uh, atomic uh, uh, weapon. He, yes, he practically is giving the permission to use force in any future event that any future American administration does not act in the face of an Iranian military nuclear program. And this is very important in uh, terms of deterrence in front of uh, against uh, Iran. Okay, so uh, you're uh, optimistic and uh, you, th you think uh, uh, there were many achievements in this uh, visit in Israeli eyes, but if you were now head of a research institute in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia, what would your uh, answer be from a Saudi perspective? Well, I would probably were uh, much more satisfied because in Saudi eyes, Saudi Arabia, Arabia paid very little for a significant achievement. First of all, the legitimization or uh, the acceptance of MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, who was addressed in a very dramatic and non uh, positive uh, terms by the President uh, Biden. Secondly, the regional summit that was hosted by Saudi Arabia, where most Gulf states came and three Arab states gave them gave uh, highly uh, position of Saudi among the Arab states. And third of all, uh, there was a commitment by Americans to remain in the region, which is very important to Saudi, again, against Iran. The main compromise Saudi did is the oil production uh, sector. Saudi agreed to extend or export one more, one million barrels per, per day, but still it is within the framework of OPEC plus, 
that is with the approval of Russia, which is a negative thing to by uh, American eyes. I, I fear to ask the, the third uh, angle, uh, and I'm guessing that as a Palestinian, you would not uh, be very pleased with this visit. Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask the Palestinian leadership, the very fact that the president devoted the time or spent time to the Palestinian issue and reaffirmed the commitment to a two-state solution is, a, is an achievement. But if you ask the Palestinian in the, in the streets, he would uh, be very cynical. He would probably say, this was a summit of two aging leaders who are apparently much closer to the end of their political career. And they spoke the language of the past uh, decade. But unfortunately, I think the two main issues that was well, that probably did not discuss there were, first of all, the main challenge is the succession struggle. What is generally called as the day after Abu Mazen, a reality that is already here. And no one is talking about it and nobody's taking initiative in order to calm things, don't calm future things up. And the second is the burning issue of a historic decline in support for the Palestinian Authority and Fatah, and the rise in power of Hamas, a challenge that is being ignored. Let's delve, uh, General, uh, Major General Heyman, uh, to the Iran issue. Your uh, predecessor at the INSS, Amos Yadlin, talks of Israeli frustration after the visit failed to produce a clear agreement on addressing the deadline for negotiations with Iran uh, on the red line, it must uh, not be allowed to cross. And uh, of course, the tripwire that if crossed is supposed to trigger an aggressive Western Israeli response. Do you share this uh, view? Not necessarily. Uh, it is important to distinguish between two synchronizing lines, a red line and the coordination line. A red line is something that is presented and its purpose is deterrence, while a coordination line is designed to coordinate the common operational activity confronting situation. And it must be not, it, it, excuse me, it must not be published. It is an operational line. The fact is that they did not declare on a red line. And I think that is a smart thing to do. Although it has the deterrence aspect, it reduces the degrees of freedom of the leadership and does the opposite if it is not followed. It really erodes the deterrence. And if there were agreements on operational coordination line, a trip wire, like you called it, I believe and hope that they would have been on the 90% enrichment line. And this is not appropriate to advertise it. And so it is not certain that there is a fault there. And we don't know it. And most important, the Iranians don't know it. I understood you uh, very well here, because uh, of course, no one can really say what were the 
the decisions in the closed rooms. Uh, but let's move on on the Iranian issue. It's no secret that the intelligence directorate during your term and also under that uh, of your successor, Aaron Khaliwa, seems, uh, sees the Iran agreement uh, differently than much of the political brass in Israel, essentially regarding a deal with Iran as the lesser evil among all the other bad options. Do you still hold that view? And if so, could you explain why? Yes, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to explain. Yes, I still hold this view as the, the agreement. Any agreement is a less bad option than the one we are facing right, the situation we are facing right now. First of all, we must gain time in order to produce a more significant and effective attack that will destroy the nuclear project and not lead to a regional war. And in light of the possibility that an attack against Iran will lead to war in the northern era with Hezbollah, we need to be the initiators of the timing. Today, we are completely dependent on the Iranian decision and the Iranian project. Another aspect is that we must and must roll back the nuclear capabilities in Iran. The current situation is dangerous and unprecedented one. The situation as it is today may bring us to the reality of Iran as a threshold state. This situation cannot be rolled back. A country that once enriched to 90% can always justify the presence of such material in its position. In simple words, Iran will have a good excuse to give to inspectors who will find traces of forbidden materials. This will make it difficult, impossible to supervise a future agreement if it will become, if it, if it comes. Um, if I may say the opponents, just to deal with the criticism on that opinion, the opponents of uh, the agreement point the risk of the sunset. But this is the years of and the end of the deal. But this is an irrelevant argument because today we are in a much worse reality than the one expected at the end of the sunset in 2013. And another argument against the agreement is that the lifting of the sanctions will bring economic well-being in Iran. This is true, but it will not be the same as it was in 2015. Firms, mostly in the West, will not risk large investments in Iran whose expectancy may be only two years. And this is also why I think the Supreme Leader in Iran does not want an agreement. Uh, I also do not accept the argument that the removal of the sanctions will lead to increased regional malign influence because of the extra money. From my experience in recent years, I learned that the sanctions did, have, did uh, not have a significant effect on the regional Iran proxy. During the maximum pressure campaign, the amount of weapons threatening Israel increased. The number of people in Shiite militias did not decrease. The sanction mainly affected 
the internal economic situation and the stability inside Iran and less on the military component. I have to say it was fascinating because I always hear the, the opposing uh, opinions from uh, Mossad uh, officials that think that, uh, that going back to an agreement is, is terrible. And uh, military intelligence uh, commanders like you, chiefs like you and, and, and the current one, they think uh, uh, vice versa, but you explained it in a brilliant way. By the way, did you, I don't know if you followed, but a former senior Iranian official, I think it was a, a, a former a, a minister of foreign affairs, said in an interview last week that they are already a threshold state. Do you agree with this? No, because he lost one thing. It, 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 there is no, in my opinion, threshold state is a vague idea, okay? There is no accurate dictionary explanation what is a threshold state. But in my opinion, threshold state must acquire 25 kilograms of 90% enriched uranium and other um, capabilities in weaponizing system. Iran has weaponizing capabilities, scientific knowledge, and has enough enriched uranium for two atomic bombs, but at the level of 60%. I know it's a matter of weeks to transfer them from 60% to 90%, but technically speaking, they have not did that step, and this is not by accident. They know that 90% is something everybody know will carry out a dramatic change in the evaluation of the danger opposed yes. uh, from Iran. So they're very dangerously close, but they are not there yet. And the Biden visit also seems to have fallen short of Israel's expectations of advancing an Israeli-led regional aerial defense alliance against Iran. The Saudis have thrown cold water on the idea. Other players, even those who have a particularly, particularly close relations with Israel, have also nixed any form of military alliance against Iran. In fact, some Gulf countries, including Saudi Arabia, seem uh, to be striving for improved <clears throat> ties with Tehran. Is this the case? Uh, indeed, or are they simply throwing up a smoke screen to hide real progress on uh, this front? Uh, truly, it is the case. I think it's because of the scope of the Israeli discourse on the subject has created the negative effect of reluctance and withdrawal. Moreover, there is a counter reaction that drives Gulf states on getting closer to Iran, mainly the United Arab Emirates and Saudi. And the problem, main problem is, I think, was terminology. Using or talking about defense alliance, the word alliance is very important, drives away Arab states from Israel. No one wants a regional alliance, a regional defense alliance that includes Arab and Israeli states together. Not Israel, not Arab because there is an obligation in an in a alliance, there is a, an, ob an obligation to act if one of the member states is attacked. This is against Israeli interest and against Arab interest. But there is still hope. The common interests in face of a common threat and the combined existing capabilities being synchronized all together can lead to a better 
efficiency dealing with the common threat of the UAVs, the Iranian drones and cruise missiles. How do you see the Iran summit earlier this month between uh, Khamenei, Putin, and uh, Erdogan? Should Israel be concerned with this axis? And are we seeing a significant downturn in relations with Russia as suggested in the latest reports and also the, the, the decision of the Russians maybe to kick out the, uh, the Jewish agency from Russia, et cetera? Well, this uh, summit is, uh, first of all, expression of the global competition over a new world order. Putin narrates himself as the leader of the East and the leader of the outcast alliance, the alliance of countries that believe the Western world system discriminates them. And the new world order in the Middle East is the creation of a dangerous triangle that may challenge Israel, that is Iran, Russia, and China. I don't think that Russia will act directly against Israel, military. The current coordination with Israel is Russian strategic, strategic asset. And the deconflicting mechanism is crucial for the protection of Russian soldiers in Syria. But as they did, they can signal the dissatisfaction in other uh, realms like the one you mentioned. But there are also maybe important operational agreements at the Tehran summit. For example, the barter trade and the non-dollar trade system, and maybe agreements on the issue of supplying Iran drones to Russia. Maybe I, we will have to look up there on that issue. But the most interesting issue, if I may, yes. is the Turkish connection. Regarding Syria, uh, please notice that the summit members do not see eye to eye. Erdogan wants to create a buffer zone in North Syria, where he plans to exile Syrian refugees there, mainly because of domestic economic and social pressure inside Turkey. Erdogan faces economic problems at home, and it is important for him to be an asset to both sides of the new world order. Yes, it's really uh, very interesting and very complicated. And on another uh, explosive subject, Hezbollah recently launched four or five drones at the Karish natural gas rig in Israel's economic water. They were intercepted, of course, by the Air Force and the Navy. But the real question is, what does Hassan Nasrallah want? And should Israel draw a red line on uh, uh, the, uh, the, the crossing of which would result in an Israeli military response against Hezbollah? Nasrallah launched the reconnaissance, I emphasize the reconnaissance drones in order to justify the highly criticized reality of a minority section in Lebanon that holds state-level weapons. Furthermore, Nasrallah addresses the new independent parliament members that openly discuss the legitimacy of the Iranian weapons in Lebanon. The Iranian influence, because some people uh, mentioned that maybe Iranian was involved directly in that launch. I think that the Iranian influence on the, that specific operation is indirect. 
it was probably approved and they gained the satisfaction that they run. But you must understand, Nasrallah is not a tool. And certainly not over internal Lebanese issues. As to the question, why gas and maritime border? I think that Nasrallah found a comfortable place of friction. In any case, he can show success without risking escalating to war. Any solution would be one that could mean a victory for Hezbollah. I assess that Nasrallah will continue this campaign solely in the influence operation that is launching a collection drones and not striking capabilities. He will not risk a military attack that, dangerous, that endangers lives because that will lead to Israeli retribution. And for the question of retribution, the question is still ahead of us. Even in case of another attempt to send collection drones, we must consider it because um, accepting the new situation can create an appetite for other issues like the 11 points of dispute we have on the ground border across all the northern border of Israel. So that creates a very fragile situation right now. Uh, I think since I remember myself, we are in a very fragile situation with the Nasala and the Northern Front, uh, but uh, never a dull moment. Uh, experts say there aren't uh, any real disagreements between Israel and Lebanon on the issue of economic waters and uh, that uh, an agreement could be reached uh, relatively easily. Do you share this position? I agree. The maritime border is not a real problem. Israel will agree on the compromise line, the, what's called the Hof line, sort of compromise, compromise. And Karish Reservoir is located entirely in Israel economic waters while the Kana Reservoir, the Lebanese one, is located in Block 9 in the Lebanese economic water. And although it spreads into dispute areas, there is no physical problem to drill there. No problem, you, you can do it today. The real problem is the lack of stability in Lebanon that deter investors, the, that, that prevent the extraction of Lebanese gas and the main responsibility on the security unrest and on the political turmoil there is Hezbollah. And Nasrallah knows that. And is therefore is so eager to shift attention away from him. While there is no real problem on the maritime line, there is a big problem, as I said, on the land border. There is a serious dispute there, both on the geographic point of the border and on the fact that any formal agreement with Israel can be interpreted as by Iranian and Hezbollah as a form of normalization, which they are totally opposed, of course. We are out of time, but I cannot uh, let you go without a question about the Gaza Strip. Uh, the Gaza Strip has uh, been relatively quiet over the past year, but in recent weeks has shown signs of waking up. The Bennett-Lapid government claims to have changed the 
equation of uh, carrots and sticks. On uh, the one hand, they respond forcefully to every incendiary uh, balloon or machine gun bullet. On the other hand, they're generous with economic benefits, allowing Gaza Palestinians to work in Israel and easing pressure on the strip in other ways. How do you see this policy? Has Israel indeed reached uh, the right balance in the, this strange relationship with Hamas and Gaza? First of all, regarding the economic issue, I think that the approval of thousands of workers from Gaza Strip who are working in Israel is a very important. It should have been done long ago before Operation Guardians of the World. And the continuation of relieving the social pressure by the Qatari aid in a different mechanism is correct. And it is better than the previous mechanism, which was called the suitcases mechanism. And the aggressive response policy is also extremely important and must be maintained, but up to a certain limit. It is not recommended to reach a fire routine at the Gaza border. A fire routine, daily fire, daily response will erode the achievement of Operation Guardians of the World and will escalate. And just the last sentence, today it is clear that the last operation in Gaza, Operation, operation Guardians of the World, was an important and the policy that followed it led to the quietest, quietest year uh, in Gaza border of uh, approximately 10 years. Major General Tamir Ayman, it was very, uh, and I emphasize very interesting. Thank you very much for joining us here in On Israeli Non Monitor. Todaraba, Tamir. We'll take now a short break and uh, come back right after it with some final thoughts. Thank you again. Thank you, Ben. Bye bye. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and the Normal Soup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. staying with us. Well, this was a conversation full with the headlines and insights. We started talking about the President Biden's visit in Israel and uh, General Yadai said, uh, I'm sorry, General Hayman said that uh, it was a positive uh, visit uh, in Israeli eyes, uh, especially when uh, talking about uh, the commitment and the backing and the strength, strengthening uh, of Israeli uh, superiority in the region, this is not uh, uh, obvious. And uh, in the emotional field of the connections, special uh, relationship and intimacy between Israel and the United States, everything was achieved big time, as he said. 
Uh, he emphasized uh, two points uh, during the president's visit in uh, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Uh, one of uh, them was a tactical and scientifical dialogue uh, that agreed, uh, was agreed between the two sides. Uh, and it's very important, he said, uh, to Israel's uh, technological and scientific uh, future. And the second point uh, is, of course, the Jerusalem uh, Declaration and uh, that led or leads uh, the world to understand that if the United States of America is emphasizing that Iran will never be nuclear, so it's uh, actually a permission to use force in the future uh, if and when we will reach a point that was not probably decided upon uh, of no return. When I asked him about the uh, Saudi uh, uh, perspective, he said that uh, in Jeddah they uh, should be even more happy with the results of the visit because they paid the less. Uh, they, they should be even more satisfied than Israel because they, they almost did not pay anything, only the production of uh, maybe one million more uh, oil barrels. Uh, but they got uh, the, the, the meeting, the very long meeting with MBS between the president and Mohammed bin Salman and the commitment by the United States to stay, that, that they are not leaving the region and uh, many other achievements. The summit, the, the big summit with the nine leaders on Saudi soil that is actually a declaration about the Saudi importance in, uh, in the region. The most important uh, point was when I asked him if uh, he still thinks, like, like he thought when he was military, uh, uh, chief of military intelligence, it was not long ago, a year ago, less than a year ago he left this uh, so sensitive and important post. And uh, yes, he said he still holds the, the same opinion that, uh, that uh, going to a new agreement with Iran is the lesser a, a worse problem between, uh, sorry, a, a option between all the bad options that are on the table right now. He said that this option, if, if they will, we will go, not we, the, the Americans and this, uh, uh, P1, 5 plus 1 will go to, the, to an agreement, it will gain uh, time that uh, everyone needs badly. Uh, and especially Israel, in order to uh, restore or have a military option to destroy totally the, the nuclear infrastructure in, uh, in Iran, Israel needs time, and do it, as he said, and it was very interesting, without opening a regional war. And he also said that we must roll back the nuclear capabilities uh, in Iran especially the enriched uh, material, and he said that it's very dangerous if Iran will go to enrich uh, 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 the uranium to 90, to a military degree, 90%. He said when a state uh, reaches this point, uh, you will never be able to, to locate or to find signs of such a quantity, of such a military-grade uh, enriched uranium, in this state, it will be already, they will be able to say yes, but, but we had it before in the past, and it will be actually declaring Iran as a threshold uh, nuclear state. And uh, he also said about uh, 
what the, the criticism about the agreement is mostly about the sunset, the period when the agreement ends. And he said that the current reality, uh, the, the sunset issue is irrelevant because today we are in a much worse reality. And this is highly uh, interesting. There were many other headlines in this conversation, and I really hope you enjoyed it and found it in, found, found it, uh, find it interesting. And we will try to meet here again next week uh, in the same place, in the same time, in, on Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care and bye-bye.